you're listening to the yachtsandyachting.com and sailworld.com podcast. We are the Global Sailing Network. Today I'm talking to Ollie Phillips, former rugby player, clip around the world veteran, charity fundraiser, record breaker and Sunsail ambassador and father of two, not to mention the coach of the Welsh women's team, quite a CV. So I met Ollie a few weeks back when we were both on board some of the newest boats in Sunsail's Solent based fleet. In fact, they were launching that morning and we were there for the naming ceremony. We were chatting about how we both got into sailing while we potted around Portsmouth Harbour. Ollie, thanks for joining us. Many listeners will know of you from your rugby days when you captained England to victory both at home and in New Zealand. You're World Sevens Player of the Year and have also put your grit and enthusiasm into raising huge amounts of money for charity by setting yourself some pretty tough challenges. Tell us about some of the challenges you faced. I'd always wanted to do this thing called the rickshaw run, which if people have heard of it, is um, you basically hire a rickshaw when uh, when you get to the most southern southerly tip of India in Kerala. And you race it 3,300 miles to the most northerly point in India. You go any route you want. Um, I mean, health and safety is is definitely not um, priority, but that's what makes it more fun. So me and my best mate, we hired this, who I met on the Clipper race, actually. And uh, he and I said, right, let's do this thing. Three, week, three weeks in India, and away we went and saw some of the most incredible sights. Ever, I mean, India is a remarkable and extraordinary country, um, and some of the most beautiful and equally some of the most stark conditions and environments and cities you'd ever see. Yeah, absolute beauty surrounded by abject poverty as well. So our, our little rickshaw is called Bell as we went around the world, and over India, sorry, not around the world. Um, so that was that one, and then believe it or not, you know. Despite doing all these ridiculous adventures, I did manage to secure myself a girlfriend at some point in uh, in the process. So I thought, what better way of stress testing the relationship than to invite her to come and cycle across the whole of America with me uh, as part of a race called Ram, race across America. She foolishly agreed, and now she's my wife. <laughs> so it all it all paid off. What led you to the Clipper in the first place? Well, I, I knew the founder uh, of Clipper, Sir Robin Knox Johnson, quite well. He enjoys his rugby. Obviously, he's Irish, so he delights even more at England losing. So as, as captain of England, there was nothing more pleasurable for Robin than ringing me when we were you know, given a tasty beating by any nation. It didn't even matter if it was Ireland, just to, just to remind us of, us of how bad we were. My, mine and Robin's relationship had grown over probably, I don't know, four or five years um, and then I call it serendipity but I had actually gone to the Sevens World Cup in Moscow and I got injured in the final against New Zealand and I'd had a pretty bad I got injured in the final and as it turned out there was actually a career ending injury that I had at this point in time but my sort of whole world had turned upside down within the space of about three hours in the final and I got injured I thought my injury would be fine. They told me it wasn't going to be, that I had to retire, and then they pulled my contract, so it's just sort of wow. disastrous. And then just to top it all off, Robin, call it serendipity, rang me to gloat at the fact that we'd lost 33-3 to New Zealand in the final. And I think he realised that I was having a pretty rough day. And he actually sort of said, look, there might be an opportunity here, and said, look, we've just signed a deal with Downing Street and uh, this thing called the Great Campaign, which champions everything about Great Britain. Do you, do you think you'd fancy being, do you fancy just sailing around the world and being part of the Great Britain boat and being a bit of an ambassador for the Great Campaign? I thought he was joking. 
turned out he was serious and, and I sort of said okay when does this all leave and he said five weeks time you need to do your training which is going to be three weeks so you're going to have to do that back to back and then away you go so literally I came back from Moscow I was like all over the place in my brain a week later I went down to Gosport I jumped on the boat did three week back to back training and then came back up my girlfriend at the time I sort of said oh, by the way um I'm going to be gone for 11 months. Do you fancy sort of coming meeting me in port to port? And then a week later, I jumped on a boat and sailed around the world from St. Catherine's Dock. And I can imagine Sir Robin is not the sort of man that you say no to. Because literally that man has done everything. Yeah, I mean, he is the, the sailing legend. Yeah, I mean, he literally sailed around the world at a time on his own, went seriously hard around the world. It's hard now, but it was a lot harder then. Um... And, yeah, there's nothing that that bloke cannot do. So he was, if I'm honest, fairly blasé. I mean, in rugby terms, we would say he sold me a dummy because it was a lot harder than he sort of made out. And uh, But it was amazing. I'm so pleased. Everyone says it is so life-changing. But do you think, knowing what you know about sailing now, you would have accepted with such enthusiasm at the time? Absolutely not, because... Now I know, and equally because my life circumstances have changed, because I've got two young kids and everything else, it's just a much more complicated conversation to have with your wife. By the way, dearest, our two kids under two, I'm just going to go for 11 yes. months. And I'll, yeah. On a potentially life-risking mission. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, the, so, the, um, so he said to you, you're, you're going to sail the whole thing. He didn't say, why don't you do a leg, give it a go. No, it was always, I mean, no, it was more, that was more my personality to myself. I'm going to do something the whole thing but I knew I knew it myself that if I stepped on board the boat if I agreed to do the training if I agreed to do the race then I'd have to do the whole thing so what was the hardest part about the training do you think I mean looking back well so actually the hardest part of the training was that obviously everybody at that point in time had done all of their clipper training you know, they, they were ready mm. to rock and roll everyone had been sort of planning prepared for two years a year or whatever else and clipper had done a deal with the Sapinda Rainbow Nelson Mandela Children's Foundation. So they had agreed that um, 12 kids, well, 12, 12 young adults, like sort of 18 and above, from various townships in South Africa would each get, each individual would get the chance to sail a leg around the world. And because, of the, you know, these kids had never left their township, let alone, uh, you know, let alone South Africa, they were flown over to the UK prior to the race, three weeks prior to the race, so that they could do all their training back to back. And then whoever was basically the first leg was going to flow straight into that. And then they'd have all done their training together. And then on the individual legs they do, they fly out and do the leg, you know, their individual leg for the Rainbow Foundation. So I was doing my training with them. So it was all 12 of them and me. And these kids, it was, it was incredible, but it was, bear in mind, these kids had never left their township, let alone been on a plane, flown out of South Africa, even been on a boat. So, you know, they never really seen an oven or anything like that, let alone cook in a Kimball oven on a, on a boat. So it was, if I'm honest, if anything was going to put me off doing it, it was those three weeks. Because, I mean, they were amazing kids. They were absolutely incredible. But they had not a clue about, forget boats, just general day-to-day -day, you know life their life was very very different to the lives that we are you know, traditionally used to 
so that was I guess that was one of the like major uplifting moments but equally one of the like well if I can get through these three weeks I can probably get through you know and see yeah and the Clipper, I mean, they're known for their incredible training. I know they work very closely with the RIA and they their training programs. But you also mentioned, um, you know, asking people to come and join you from port to port. Are there any kind of standout ports that? What was the port you were sort of the most delighted to reach? Well, I mean, or, most, or all of them. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, there is this amazing, like, magic and mystique about you look at a map and you see where you started and you see where you finished. You're like, I can't believe we've just sailed across that. You, you start in London, you finish in Rio de Janeiro, and you're like, wow. Like, you look at, you just draw a line, you're like, oh my God. And when you fly on a plane, it's obviously exciting or whatever, but it feels like a holiday. If, it, like, I can't explain the feeling, but it feels like this incredible adventure, like this huge achievement and, um, you know, accolade, whatever you want to call it, of reaching that port. And then when you sail in, and I don't know, you're, family are there or your girlfriend, partner, whatever, uh, 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 on the side in the harbour. It's it's quite an emotional moment, whatever. It's, it's huge because you know, the world's oceans are at times gruelling beyond explanation. It's just incredible, the power. You're travelling across these huge oceans. What were the most challenging conditions that you faced? Uh, Southern Ocean. Southern Ocean or the Pacific, but I think because we'd been and done the Southern Ocean, the, the Pacific would, was where we kind of you know, more more ready at least. The Southern is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life ever, and I never want to experience ever again. It was it was exactly what I wanted because I was a bit of a thrill seeker and I wanted it to be tough and I wanted it to be brutal and grueling. But my God, did it deliver! I mean. I've never been in weather like it. I've never seen sea state like it. I've never seen human reactions like it. I mean, fear, you know, but equally fear and excitement all in one. And the, you know, the, if you if you want a management challenge, that is the ultimate test. That one. And you asked what was my favourite port. I loved all of them, but Albany, this little tiny little town on the southwest coast of Australia. Three hours south of Perth, I was never more delighted to see its shores than that one because that was the end of the Southern Ocean as we got there. And that race was 5,800 miles. It was 28 days, 27 days. And we won that leg by one mile. And you mentioned that one of your best mates you met on the Clipper. Have you stayed in touch with the crew? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's like everything in, in life. I don't know, we probably had, what, 70 people come through overall in the course of 11 months. There are, you know, there were 10 people on my boat that were around the worlders. Um, so, you know, one of them, a guy called Paul Hardy, or the squirrel as he's nicknamed, um, you know, he is still to date one of my best mates. He was best man at my wedding. He's godfather to my, to my first child. You know, so, and one of the best human yeah. beings that I've ever well, there can be a few more experiences that are more bonding, clinging yeah. to each other through the Southern Ocean. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, you still see these, you know, all these people, you're still close to a few of them. And even if you're not, when you see each other or bump each other in the, in, on the road or in the pub, whether it's five years or 50 years, you still have got like that moment. You remember it. That is the shared memory. And that's why it's so special. So um, are you doing any sailing these days? Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing as wild, if you like, it's Clipper. 
I've I've done the Fastnet a couple of times now. Um, I've I've formed a partnership with Sunsail, so doing quite a lot of sort of small small offshore sailing. But you know, the main thing now, if I'm honest, is it, it, I love the racing, so I want to do as much racing as I can. But I I equally loved actually just the the beauty of being on a boat and being on the water. Like I never really appreciated it and how amazing it is even in the Solent when you leave Gosport or you leave Portsmouth and potter over to Cowles for the night it feels like a proper adventure and with young kids now and I've got my brother's got slightly older kids but they're still young you know seven and five I can't wait for that side of it I guess more more cruisy in inverted commas if you like but having like those shared memories and shared family moments of, of Creating like an adventurous lifestyle for little ones. I think your relationship with Sunsell actually will will serve you well there because they do lots of training and you know the development of their base in the UK will be a, a good starting point. I think with their new fleet, with um, yachtsandyachting.com, our big thing is participation. And it doesn't matter if you're just doing local club level racing, pottering around in your dinghy, or you're going all the way through to the America's Cup or the Clipper. I think that's the key part. And actually, one of the things we've launched recently is what does sailing mean to you? Because so many of us can't get out on the water now. And we've been inundated by photographs of people and their crew or their boats or, you know, the memories that people hold of that escape onto the water. The Clipper is all about creating memories. That's the greatest thing about it. And I think now, what actually, ironically, the, the, the Sunsail... Um, partnership whatever between myself it was all about exploring that sort of sense of adventure sharing the beauty and majesty of sailing with my family but also me developing my own skills set because whilst with the clipper you sail 11 months to city 46,000 miles you actually don't come back with any qualification if that makes sense well you haven't done your day skipper you you, know, you haven't got your yacht master or anything like that so I, I wanted to to do that as well and so the partnership with, with Sunsail was absolutely perfect because I could do all my training I mean I've done my day skipper I'm now moving on to doing my you know, coastal skipper and yacht master and everything else like that and that's that's what I want to do because I can share with my family I think many of us would agree definitely so tell us more about your latest project Optimus Performance if I'm honest it was looking at, at consistent themes if you like from everything whether that was captaining England sailing around the world, going up Mount Everest, uh, or working at PwC, you know, being head coach of Wales, women, whatever it was, it, it was all around people, teams, behaviours. And so I, we, I formed the Optimist Performance because, A, I'd met a plethora of people that were like-minded, that had you know, similar experiences, so that it could act as, a, if you like, a library of people that could share their insights into how do you create optimal performance? How do you create good you know, performance behaviors within your business? How do you create what is world-class team teamwork? All of those sorts of things. And actually distilling that into a digestible and understandable process that worked within ultimately the, you know, the corporate community, but it just in society in general. And because I, well, I still am, but because I had worked with as a director at PwC for five years, um, I kind of understood corporate, big business, you know, red tape, some of the you know, bureaucracy and policy uh, politics that can come with all of that. And so, how you navigate that? How how do you actually how do you create some of these um, performance cultures? Because I've spoken to a lot of chief execs in the past, 
And they'd all said, oh, this is all amazing. And Steve Redgrave, it's brilliant. You know, you've got five gold medals from five different Olympics over 20 years. You're phenomenal. But I don't know how to row a boat. And I, I can't. You know, that's, how, well, how do I make that transferable into my business? So that was the whole point of, of, of Optimus. That is sort of what it's all about. How, how do you, how do you make the untouchable touchable? How do you make it tangible, transferable, or optimize their, their behavior, their, their performance? Well, Ollie, thank you so much for chatting to us. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll all be allowed out back on the water soon. And, um, and I really hope you enjoy teaching your children as they grow up to enjoy the water yeah, as much I'll, as we all do. I'll be teaching them all the, and showing them all of the virtual racing that you guys do. Well, yeah, absolutely have a look. And I think a, a clipper regatta is very much on the card, so we'd love to have you involved with that. Team GB all the way. Absolutely. Well, it's been great hearing about some of your experiences. Thank you so much for sharing them with us.